Okay. So we are still in our summer of action and wanted to let you all listeners know that we had a conversation behind the scenes, like, is this actionable enough? And we really think that to make all of this work sustainable, sometimes it does have to be in the little things, the little things that we're talking about this summer, you know, every week in these episodes, it has to be stuff like, what link did you send to your friend about a book you're recommending? Did you send the Amazon link or the bookshop link? You know, and it also has to be in looking deep within yourself and looking around to build one person at a time, a more diverse community for yourself and for your families and your friends. But sometimes it's also about doing work, social activism, DEI work in your organization and the groups that you're a part of. So today we're back with part two of our fabulous conversation with Kelly and Aurora of the Optin. And if you didn't listen to part one, go do that and then come back and listen to this episode. Because today we're picking up where we left off and looking at all different forms of activism, ways to think about where we've collectively been and where we are in this realm, and suggestions for courses and people to look at in doing this work. And I think fundamentally the message from this part two is that we can do hard things. And this isn't even one of the hardest things we'll do in our lives, but it may be what has the most lasting impact. And by that, I mean, not only for ourselves, but for our kids. So as a reminder, you know, Sarah, you started talking about the little things that we do, right? The small choices that we make that actually have a bigger impact, because what if we all started buying books from bookshop, right? What if we all started looking at where we spend our dollars within our communities? And what if we all at work, for example, ask the tough questions, right? Why don't we have a gender neutral restroom, for example? Or when we're building something, who are we accommodating with this, right? Who should we be accommodating? And if the answer is not everyone, right, then we can have those conversations, but it's continually making the choices that lead to having those conversations. And those are small things. Those might not be huge things at all, but those are the small things that end up being big things. I love that. So in the spirit of this conversation and asking these questions, I do want to ask you, our listeners, what is working with our show? What is not? And what do you need? What can we do to help you? We'd also love to hear what you are doing to move the needle this summer. So send us any thoughts via email at hello at dearwhitewomen.com. Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast, the show that helps white women use their privilege to uproot systemic racism. We're your biracial hosts, Sarah and me, Sasha. Your social media feed on Instagram is amazing for the podcast and in your show, but you also work with clients. Can you talk to us about the main forms of whether it's communication or I don't know if we want to call it like activism or advocacy or work or conversations that you have? There's so many different realms that we can convey these messages and the heart of what we're discussing here. You know, your shows, your feeds, your emails. What do you find most effective and enjoyable and engaging in this realm of justice work to welcome people into the conversation and all these things that we're talking about together. Hannah, how do you incorporate also that sense of community in those spaces? And I'll start on the B2B angle and then mm-hmm. maybe you. Mm-hmm. So one, I'm just going to say, I think that we literally just had this conversation with our client and I loved that the white male client actually was the tethering for me to say what I'm about to say. I think we are living an unbelievable, epic moment in the history of our humanity, in the history of our society. And how lucky are we 
that we chose to incarnate and be here at this moment of time. And so for me, I wake up every morning grateful of the experience that I chose to incarnate into at this moment in time. You know, like grew up poor, grew up with a Mexican immigrant, mother, an African-American cook, grew up as a domestic, and then chose to spend 20 plus years in corporate America, traversing and climbing that ladder, which was not easy. Definitely left that with a multitude of battle scars, but I'm also grateful that in that moment, that was my ticket in creating a financial equity for my family. One, getting my family out of poverty. Two, getting breaking the cycle of debt. And three, creating a cycle of generational wealth, which what does that mean for me, which is different for Kelly and other white people, is that my children will not have to be financially responsible for me the way I have been for my parents for the last 25 years. So what brings me joy is the fact that that is a life I chose. And through the support of friends, healing guides and tools, I'm at a place where I can share the impact of my own healing, my own evolution, and my own continuous growth in standing in my own truth and authenticity. So that for me is like, that is a blessing. And I am grateful for that every single day. How does that show up in the areas that Kelly and I have chosen to focus the opt-in? I'll start first in talking about, we've chosen to take a lot of what we've learned through launching the podcast over three years ago. What we've learned from our community, our listeners, the questions that they have shared with us, the intimate discussions that they have given us the honor and the privilege to sit through, we have developed with our partners in our organization, a theory of change. And our theory of change centers around for businesses, how do you build cultural competence and a positive racial identity? And it really centers around four overarching pillars that we believe is radically unique. As someone who sat in corporate America for over 20 years, I was a steward and shepherd. I was the executive sponsor for every inclusive or diversity initiative. And it saddens me when I look back and I look at the numbers and see that nothing or very little has changed. I worked across four different industries in the tech industry, in the retail industry, in the pharmaceutical industry, companies like AstraZeneca, Hewlett Packard, Xerox. I worked nationally, globally, leading marketing and business transformation. And I was often, if not most of the time, the only Black woman, the only Latina woman in the room. And despite always creating a bench of diverse candidates, to replace me, not once was I ever replaced with a person of color. Despite building the team that could step into my shoes easily in a nanosecond. So I have a lot of heart, I have a lot of passion for the fact that corporate America to this day continues to be the pathway for many black indigenous people of color to break the financial cycles that have been a legacy of our history. You know, Kelly and I always talk about this started with money and it's going to end with money. And so corporate America continues to be that pathway for many of us to recalibrate equity, financial equity for ourselves and our families. So we have a distinct passion around how do we create or evolve those environments so that they are less traumatic, they create less harm, and they can be pleasant ways in which 
that rebalancing of equity can happen. And so that is something I am, you know, doesn't mean it's not hard. And Kelly tells me all the time, girl, why are we doing this? Because this is hard. And I'm like, because it's critical. Right now, it's still a significant pathway to financial equity because unlike white people and being a well white male, we are not being funded. I mean, it took me well after 25 years in America to become an entrepreneur. And even then, it has been difficult. It has been a financial impact to my family. And I'm not on the first of the list to get funded by VCs and other investors as a Black Latina woman. So we have an opportunity to reimagine our workplaces, reimagine our work environments, and reimagine it by centering equity, inclusivity, to evolving, I think, the well-being, happiness, leadership, creativity, and innovation, not just for Black people, predominantly for white people that coexist in those spaces. <sighs> Amen. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And I don't say, why are we doing this? I say, why are we doing this with people in pre-contemplation? <laughs> okay. So, you know, it's not that there's believers and non-believers. It's just you're either in pre-contemplation because you actually don't have the information yet, or you're in contemplation or you're in preparation or action. So we're following the stages of change as far as what pe- where people are and meeting them where they're at. So when I was doing this work, I was doing it by myself, which A, sucks. B, I didn't know where I was going. C, I found a lot of amazing, amazing educators, activists, everything. And I was like, you know, they're all here. Like they're all over here. All this information's here. Like how are we not seeing this? And so what, when Aurora and I got together, the main goal of what we wanted to do was make change. We didn't want to be doing this if it was just an idea. It was just a concept. We wanted to make change. We wanted to be able to prove it in essence, to measure that change. So in creating our theory of change, it plays off of a lot of elements. So I'm sure you all see that when a black person is killed by police, a lot of white women start book clubs, right? And racial literacy is so important, but you see that where it's like, I read this. Did you read this? Yes. I read that. Did you read that? Okay. And then it's like off to pick up at carpool, you know, which is understandable because that's just, there's no support. There's no self-awareness practice around it. There's no community around it. There's no stamina to stay in it. And so racial literacy is like one aspect, but there's more to it. And stamina being my favorite, because I know white women have stamina. Like (laughs) if you can do a stack on Peloton for 90 minutes, or you can track macros. Okay. Like if you can track macros, you can basically work at NASA. Like it's, <laughs> so <laughs> we have the capacity and power to do so much. And remember when I said like my grandparents, they come from that lack mentality that trickles down. And what does that look like? That looks like oh, I'm a white woman stuck at home with my kids or whatever in my job. And I'm just overwhelmed and I'm doing what I can. Because as Aurora would say, like, you have all the things. Like, why are you complaining? Why are you even depressed? Like, you have all the things, you know? It's like my grandparents, like, they wanted for nothing. I mean, you know, they worked their ass off and then retired, which is, you know, a really, like, great, you know, whatever. I mean, but they had all the things. And yet it's like, you know, woe is me, the sky is falling. So it's, I could see that, like, we as white people, white women, especially white women, have so much power. And when we concentrate it, it's frightening. 
Did you ever see Michael Che Matters, like his uh, stand-up? I've seen it, yes. Where he said, like, do you, where it's like white women, like they could go to Syria and like open a Trader Joe's and a soul cycle, like completely gentrify like a war zone. <laughs> but it's the truth. So we're working on starting an online community, but we have clearly a lot on our plate right now and, you know, only so much bandwidth, but the core of it is learning. So to me, and like, there's a quote that I don't know who said it. So somebody help me is like learning adds years to your life and life to your years. Like if you really don't want to look at yourself and you really don't want to learn, we really, nobody can really help you. Right. But there are people, I know there's tons and tons and tons of white women that want to learn and want to be more self-aware. I mean, I see them in yoga studios and I see them. I know they're there. So I just think that we just think that in having community and habits and structures and knowing the problem that we're looking to solve, which is basically white supremacist culture, like understanding white supremacy culture, understanding how it's ingrained in us, understanding our social identities, you know, and then, then going out in the world to see like, what can I do where I am? You know, because we each are only one person and yet no change ever happened. Then just one person somewhere. So there's a lot of potential there, which I know you two know based on the name of your podcast alone. <laughs> but really learning is key for us because we just think that when you're coming from a mindful place and you're bringing your own experience, like your each of our own lives is rich with learning that we can actually take with us. We can look, I'm still digging. I'm still digging through my life. My dad was born in North Philly, scrappy kid from North rags to riches story. Yada, yada. My grandparents moved outside of Redline, Philadelphia to Levittown, PA. Levittown and their FHA loans specifically excluded Black people from buying homes in Levittown. So my grandparents were able to buy land, buy home. Eventually, they moved to Lansdowne, Pennsylvania. Eventually, lent my dad three grand to start his business. That was the start of my generational wealth. And think of that's one family. Think of all the families that did not get out of North Philadelphia. So it's like, was my grandfather a bad person? No, I mean, it's hard. He was a hard person to be around sometimes, but like, did he work his ass off? Yes. Did he have great? Yes. And he was a white, able-bodied Christian man who looked pretty fair for an Italian guy. And so, you know, there's just such treasures of information in each of our stories. I guarantee it. Because I was the first one to say 10 years ago, like, I know I'm not like Confederate, like, you know, heir. Like, that's not where my family, I saw where my family was born in Italy. Like, I'm not taking credit for that. And yet there's racism throughout everything in all of our lives. You don't have to swing a cat and you will hit it. (laughs) And that learning is so deep and explains so much. So I'm off on a tangent, but anyway, it all comes back to learning. It all comes back to learning. And I think what we've chosen to do is in, in the form of our activism and the way that we show up is one showing up with gratitude and knowing that we're all on the spiritual journey and knowing that this is a learning journey. And we choose to manifest that activism in our day-to-day actions as cisgendered females in a cross-racial relationship that we choose to put out there into the world in the most authentic, raw, and vulnerable way for the support and learning of all that raise their hands or choose to be on this in this community with us and listening. And then that manifests itself specifically through working with organizations through our B2B offering, which we call the opt-in culture as well as what Kelly explained is our individual support to 
of those that are wanting and that are yearning and that are wanting to sort of get on this journey of being a better human being and being much more intentional about how you're living your life and being of service and purpose, not just to yourself, but to all in this greater community called humanness. And, you know, we have a community that we have the privilege that is with us and is engaged with us through our podcast and our social mediums. And we're hoping to manifest that into a more specific, a broader community, hopefully later this year through a community platform. That's awesome. I was going to say, and we, I know as white women, like we need practice talking about race. We need practice talking about race. We need to practice talking about race. We need to practice talking about race. And how I find that is in different learning communities. And so I always try to find different learning programs to get myself into. So that's all to say that like racial literacy is, is reading books and learning about race and intersectionality and, you know, the current historical nature and all of those things. Thanks to Dr. France Wyndham's twine. So I wanted to say that too. I love that. And I think it is a continual journey, right? Like, I don't think any of us are going to be like, all right, I'm done learning. Like, there's just so much to learn. People say to us, you know, oh, how many more? Like, how long do you think you'll continue your podcast? And we're like, we're not running out of things to talk about. Like, <laughs> yeah, no shortage of topics over here. So yeah, white women aren't going anywhere. <laughs> we have, I don't know, check with us in a decade. Like, I don't know, we could probably keep going for a weekly. But you know, I wondered who else inspires you? Who are the other people out there that you find like that everybody should be listening to or learning from or doing courses with at this point in time? Oh, I mean, most recently, I just finished a course with Allie Michael at the Race Institute, which is out of Philadelphia, but now everything's virtual. So that's awesome. The Lion Story, Dr. Howard Stevenson's crew over there is amazing. And doing a racial literacy course, you did a BIPOC course there. So I did a BIPOC with the Lion Story, Michelle C. Johnson. Michelle C. Johnson, especially if you're a yogi. We mentioned Sonia Taylor. We uh, Oh, Dr. Natalie Edmonds. Oh, she's also a psychiatrist, psychologist. Mm-hmm. Amazing, mindful work she does. Dr. Amanda Kemp. Dr. Amanda Kemp, There's Rachel so Ricketts. Yeah, Rachel and what we would offer is that there is a guide in the teacher. Oh, and Weezy. So I'm in Weezy. Mm, Weezy Duran. I'm in her. Uh, Check your privilege. Mikasa Hill. I'm going to need help with that one. Mikasa uh, yeah, privilege Mikasa. progress. We'll look it all up. But yeah, but Weezy, I mean, I'm in her reclaim uh, course right now. It's a nine month course that is uh, focused specifically for Black, Indigenous, people of color. Love her. Just, I mean, what she is opening up for me is unbelievable. So, oh, our friends at Anti Racism Every Day do amazing ground up work. Amazing. Yes. Unions, teachers, I mean, just incredible work. So, there's just a plethora of people. So many to be inspired parties by. and dance floors. I love it. Well, and I love that you pointed out some of it is for everybody to learn, right? The history we can all learn together, but there are spaces that are better for white people. There are spaces that are better for people of color. There are like, we have different needs because we walk through this world looking different and have different experiences based on that. So I love that you also mentioned that. Yeah. I would recommend a diversity of types of learning too. Absolutely. I mean, I can't say, I mean, I went to the BIPOC, it was the inaugural BIPOC Institute that the Lions story had during this pandemic. And I didn't, I hadn't realized that in my 25 plus years of being in corporate America, being in so many different trainings and, you know, leadership training, I had never actually been in a training course with only Black, Indigenous people of color in my entire life. It was Black History Month. It was in February. And to be in a room with Indigenous people, to be in the room with 
you know, every aspect of melanated human being was powerful. And for us to sit there and witness each other's stories and to provide space and counsel and guidance, because just like everybody else, we're at different places too. And it was, you know, hats off. It was, it was an incredible program. I love it. Clearly, we could probably talk all the rest of the afternoon. I was wondering if there's anything that we didn't ask that you want to talk about. I think one of the questions is that we are in the two-week window, is it? Yes. Uh, Oh, yeah, 10 days, 11 days. Yeah. We are in the 11-day window of George Floyd's anniversary. And I would offer that. I think that's a great question to ask us as far as what do we hope for? Because... There are some things that have changed, but mostly, I don't know how you all feel, but there continues to be much work, which is, I think, back to the question that you were mentioning, which is like, we'll be at this for a, a bit longer. But I think that for, for us is something we've been sitting with as a team and really honoring and where have we evolved? What have we modeled? And how are we checking in with our community that says, What's working? What's working? What's not not working? working. What do you need? How do we help you stay committed on this journey of evolution and appreciating that it is a journey? It's not a one and done. And can you look back and at least see some level of your own personal evolution and an evolution in those places you, places and people you have the opportunity to touch and influence? I really appreciate that. And I think that's just inspired me. Like we should put our heads together and at the very least just ask what's working, what's not. Because you hear from the vocal on both sides, but you don't necessarily hear from everyone unless you invite them to give you feedback. So I appreciate that reminder too. Mm -hmm. You know, I also want to say that it's not like, okay, well, what's the report card? Because I know sometimes I can, like when we're together, I know (laughs) I'm looking at Kelly and I know I can come off. It's like, okay, what's the report card? But it's not, the, you know, it's just, you know. Yeah, I ran a couple groups that uh, where I was in a group for seven months and then I'm in and I'm running one now, our cleaner now for this group that friends of ours designed called Aware Allied Whites Against Racism for Equity. And it's a white affinity learning space where we go through the Seeing White podcast time by time and it's adult learning based. So, and the questions are, do you have questions? What emotions came up for you? And what was your key takeaway? And then we break up into small groups like dyads or triads, because that's great for white people learning and talking about race. And I've seen change happen from it. I've seen people also not show up after halfway through. So, you know, I think there's a spectrum. It's not just one thing, I'm sure, but there's a spectrum of things happening. And there is, I believe, a raised level of awareness. And we have to keep pushing up and up and up and up and accountability. Absolutely. I love that because when you said that, I was thinking about my conversations with my kids, right? And how Sarah and I both do side projects sometimes. And one of the ones that I've been doing has been talking to parents, right? About how to talk to kids and in conjunction with an educational startup on, you know, our, what does anti-racism look like for kids? And as parents, are you talking to your kids? And we started these in... June of last year. And so, you know, to Kelly, to your point, I have seen evolution in some ways and in some ways I haven't. Right. And in some ways we, (laughs) Sarah's laughing because there was one very recently where I was sort of bombarded with questions that I was not expecting, let's say, because it was, or people thought they were on this at one point in their journey. 
And they were not, right? But they were very convinced in their heads that they were there. And not only were they there, they were going to tell everyone else how there they were, right? And some of being around, because my kids are fairly young, right? I, hearing kids talk has been hopeful in some ways for me. Hearing, seeing that my own kids find words to talk. But then there is that disparity, right? I think sometimes people in their heads are here and are not actually, or, you know, it's very performative, right? You buy the books, you read the books, you got tired. Now you're like, oh, maybe I should re-up on the books. And so, yeah, it's a great question. I did this year-long coaching program about narcissism recovery with April Harder. And it, it was really, really powerful and really, really hard. And in it, we learned that learning is like 25% explicit, and 75% implicit. So 25% is, you know, like the facts and figures and events and stuff. And then 75% is like the things that we just are imbued with. And so the good news, bad news is of that is that we can tell our kids whatever they're going to do one out of four things, but what we do ourselves, they will be imbued with 75% of. So no one's expecting anybody to have all the answers about problematic, systemic, racist, patriarchal culture that we live in from the last 400 years. However, if your kids are seeing you work at your own awareness, work at being in connection, work at your own racial literacy, work at being accountable, that's going to go a long, long way, especially showing that you don't have the answers, especially in a hard thing. It's hard to talk about. It's hurt a lot of people. So I just think there's such richness in us not knowing the answers and being real about that with them and learning together because some of the most woke parents, I mean, you should see my daughter's backlash at my wokeness. She like kills me like, <laughs> uh, Oh my God. I'm just like, Oh, you've got to be kidding me. This is what I'm like raising. Like I'm like backlashing. I'm like, and I'm just like, you know what? I'm just learning as like, this is just me in process. And, you know, when you're an adult, like you'll realize that you're still just a kid that's learning. <laughs> totally. All right. Before we go, can you just tell our listeners where to find you? Yes. At the opt-in on the socials. And then it's the opt-in.com. Our website. Come visit us. We welcome all. Mm-hmm. We'd love to hear from you. We love you both. Thank you so much for what you do. Thank you so much for inviting us to the party. We love dancing with you today. Mm -hmm. It was great. You're still here learning how to uproot systemic racism one conversation at a time. Our fresh news. We have a brand new book that's available for pre-order. So find us on bookshop.org at Dear White Women and order. And then make sure you follow the Dear White Women podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts so you can keep getting the newest episodes each Wednesday. And don't forget to rate and review us as you share our show with your friends. Follow us on Instagram at Dear White Women Podcast and Twitter at DWW Podcast. And if you love us, support our Patreon or look for ways you can bring us into your place of employment or circle of influence for a talk or ask us about our webinars and consulting work. Thanks for being here.